that Justice had to read this little itty bitty scroll. Tiny, the <laughs> tiny scroll. I, and I, re- I refuse to post that anywhere else. He's like, I just posted it into a Google Doc. I'll delete it later. It's yeah. way easier to read this way. I'm like, I refuse. I want this to be authentic. <laughs> it's a method writer. Welcome to Worldcasting, where we discuss real, made-up things. I'm your host, Tyler, and today I'll be discussing Elminster's Candlekeep Companion with two of its creators, Justice Armand and Anthony Joyce, about their latest collaboration. My name's Justice Armand. I'm a 5th edition D&D designer on the DMs Guild, and I work for Beetle and Grimm's as well. Hey, everybody. Uh, my, name's, my name's Anthony Joyce. I am a, in real life, I'm an active duty military uh, strategist on my side. Hustle, if you will. I'm a DM skilled creator, and I love making adventures. It's great to have both of you on and to discuss your latest product, Elminster's Candlekeep Companion, which I, I think I got that right. Yes, you did. Okay. So just to kind of start us off, if you guys would give us just a little bit uh, about yourselves, about how you kind of got started making DMs Guild items and how you kind of started working together. Justice, you want to take the lead there on that one? Yeah, sure. So it's actually pretty funny. I, so I started designing for the DMs Guild, I guess, technically in um, October of 2018, when I like to do a Halloween one-shot every year for my home group. And I put all the notes into the Natural Crits home brewery, and I put it on the DMs Guild, just kind of heard about it. And uh, I left it up there as a pay-what-you-want title, and I forgot about it uh, until MT Black ran this a one-page adventure contest called the Lonely Scroll for Saltmarsh. And he actually asked for your DMs Guild email. I went onto the DMs Guild to figure out what my email was because I had forgotten and I saw money in there and I had forgotten. I put that adventure up and I said, well, I guess I'll keep doing this. And I think actually, uh, Anthony, I don't remember if that's when you started or if you started just before that. So I started uh, my DMs Guild foray in October 2018 with a Adventures League adventure called the Air of Orcus. I made verse one and two. And so I, I have my adventure roots in organized play. And for the next, you know, up to now, so almost two, two years, we're at a year and a half now, I've been working on different supplements and adventure content. And Justice and I were on that same Lonely Squirrel competition that Empty Black ran. Uh, so that's kind of our first time being in the same product together. And then afterwards, we started talking on... And he's being modest. He won that competition. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah. So you know, you won a award too there. So we both won uh, things from that, won the uh, big uh, award. I got sloppy seconds. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, no, we got to know each other through conversation after that, and then we decided to uh, work together. And we've been working on multiple projects ever since. I think the first one we did was in November, uh, the fall of Elturel, right, Justice. Yeah, I think we'd, we'd been talking before that. I don't remember when exactly did we... I think I had just finished up some stuff for Hellbound Heists, and I'd seen Anthony on the DMs Guild Discord, and uh, he and I shared a, a lot of the same philosophies. I remember seeing him in the chat and being like, yeah, I agree with that guy. I should talk to that guy. 
Um, but I was actually kind of intimidated because of his Air of Orcas series. It's just so good and so well produced. And yeah, so we started talking more. And after Fall of Elturel, I think it went really well. And we just working together. And here we are. Yeah, Elminster's Candlekeep Companion is our latest baby of love. Yeah, it's, um, it's with Ed Greenwood, too. I, we had him on couple months ago now and uh it was it was a great time talking to him and interested to see what it's like um from the other side of of working with him well he spoke very highly of you guys that's kind of how justice and i got your information so um as you know ed is a stellar creator i mean he's like a just a genuine good human being this is a guy who has dedicated his life to produce like making the forgotten realms come to life and, and filling people's lives with fantasy and joy. He's not in it for the money. He's not in it for the fame. He's like literally in it to have people experience his, his uh, forgotten realms. It's awesome. Yeah. You can tell when Ed, when Ed writes back, you know, you'll ask one question. I think the first question I really asked him was, um, Hey, what's the difference? The catacombs and the caverns connected at all. He replied with this huge lore document talking about, you know, these myconids underneath and this, how they thrive off of the dung from the avowed above. And you can just tell just based on the way he writes things that he has so much joy and he's just got this, you know, this this damn standing between him and all of these great ideas that he's just waiting to share with you. You know, he just loves the lore and um, it's really cool because he will casually drop secrets all the time that will blow my mind i will say i've seen some of his uh his responses on twitter for instance and you're right they're just piles of lore and it's it's so i think enlightening to see someone approach world building with so much just like you'd said like this love for it and wanting to make people's worlds fantastical so i guess this kind of brings me over to you two like what uh what has been your impetus for making dm's guild content and wanting to kind of share that with people as well or did you want to make it from a more technical standpoint to make things to challenge people hmm i guess i'll take this one first just if you don't mind go for it i think what brought me to the guild initially and continues to bring me to the guild is just a creative outlet like <clears throat> this is kind of like turn into my hobby you know i used to play i'm a i'm a father of three married i got a full-time you know military career so i got a lot going on i don't have much free time and this has become like my cathartic free time i enjoy writing i enjoy creating i enjoy collaborating with like justice and others in teams to make a beautiful product that just turns your imagination on fire when you see it and i'm a very visual learner i consume things visually and i just the ability to take a word document and start writing words on that word document and turning it into an end product with art layout just like something that makes you teleport to this fantasy world has been awesome i think it's great for like you know we're we're in this world right now uh, with covid and everybody's going through a pandemic but when you go to the Forgotten Realms, you're not in this mess. You're, you're in the Forgotten Realms and you're a hero. And I think it's really cool to have the ability through the creative process to bring people from their reality, whatever that might be, to a place that is where they are a hero, where they're in charge, and where they're freaking awesome. You know? And so that's what I enjoy. 
I think it's definitely a worthy thing to enjoy. You know, that's the the blessing, I guess, of of just tabletop RPGs in general. You know, that's the the fact that you have so much agency in, in a world that sometimes in ours that doesn't seem like you have any. Like you mentioned with COVID, we're all sequestered away, but in RPGs, we can be in far off lands doing great things. Absolutely, hundred percent. So uh, this makes me want to transition into just kind of a brief history of D&D with you. Like, like what is your personal history with D&D? Where did you kind of start with it? And how, how did you kind of transgress from that beginning muling stage we all start into to rising above the DMs Guild with award-winning products and the working to make the realms come to life? Um, I think well, I started playing in 2013. Um, I was living in Utah and um, there was this guy in my apartment complex who said, hey, do you want to play Dungeons and Dragons? And I'd only ever known of it from, you know, like these parodies, you see cartoons and stuff where everybody's in their basement with you know, the dice and everything. And I think I, I joked back, I was like, well, can I play like a powdered wig minotaur who plays a harpsichord? And he was like, yeah, you totally can. And so I showed up on Sunday night this outrageous character and i ended up having a blast and uh you know from there the next year you know um edition came out and so i i made that change just because there were so so many books and so many options and 3.5 i kind of was overwhelmed and i it was a chance to kind of start in at the ground floor i mean i think probably, probably two years into that i realized as i was ping-ponging you know going into healthcare and uh, going into you know healthcare management that I wanted a, a five-year plan where I could jump into a creative industry and um, writing for campaigns and then writing for other people's campaigns kind of seemed like a natural jump. So, so my, my story's not as long as Justice's in terms of like when I began to play. I'm a fifth edition guy. I've always seen Dungeons and Dragons. I knew what it was. Uh, but throughout my life, I never had any friends to like that were nerdy enough to want to play it with me. You know, I was kind of like, oh, that's Dungeons and Dragons. I don't want to play that. So, alas, I was by myself. But when I became a company commander during the ISIS crisis where in Iraq, when they were taking over and stuff over there, I got uh, short notice deployment orders to go take my company over there and uh, help out. And so I did. But I took my... I bought the core set for Dungeons and Dragons, just came out at the time. And I had a soldier in my company who's like, hey, sir, I used to play like 3.5 edition D&D and we're going to be out in the desert and there's not going to be much to do. So I, I'll, play, I'll run Dungeons and Dragons for you. I'm like, okay, hell yeah, let's do that. So bought the core set, deployed. And for six months, we were out there and we were playing. We played one day a week. I would get my soldiers together and a group of us would play. Uh, and we had a blast and I fell in love with it. I'm like, this is... Everything I imagined, you know, I grew up playing Diablo, uh, EverQuest, Baldur's Gate on PC. And so this tabletop was what I envisioned. And so I went from a player during the deployment to a DM when I got home. I started running for my friends online mainly because of my military career. I, I move around about every 21 months. So I, I do a lot of online DMing. And then I decided to create. I think creating is almost the same satisfaction you get as a DM, except your level of satisfaction when your DM is, oh, my players had a great night playing today. That, that really 
you know, energizes you. But as a creator, you get the same feeling when people are like, oh, I ran your adventure. It was so great. My, my players did awesome stuff. You're almost like the DM for the DM. Uh, and it's a really great feeling. So that's kind of what drives me and motivates me is just the, the positive energy from people playing the creations and, and having positive experiences from it. I like that DM for the DM it makes me think of like people who've written epics. Are they like the DM of the DM of the DMs? How high can yeah. I go? Yeah. <laughs> the Uber DM. Oh, that is a, that's pretty awesome though. Kind of both of you kind of had uh, more recent starts and you know, you've been there for the, all of fifth edition and moved into loving and making games for people like that's that's so awesome you know you, you don't really get that too often for the love of it comes so much for wanting people to enjoy it that you make your own so that way everyone can it's especially- you know yeah i think i think what's interesting about it like the good partnership that justice and i have is you know we both have full-time careers and like i don't need to do this for the money you know i'm doing this for the for the passion for, for the enjoyment and for bringing that to people's lives. And I think, you know, there's, there's a difference when, like, you know, I have to write this because I got to meet a deadline because I got to, you know, make ends meet, if you will, versus, you know, hey, I'm just doing this because I want to. I don't have to, and I'm going to just put my heart and soul into it. So, you know, I, I have that privilege to do that. And, and I think that's kind of a a neat thing to be able to do and then help others. That's why we always build teams up. We build teams of different creators, whether they're artists, whether they're graphic designers, Justice and I, we always bring them on board because we realize like the impact we can have of, Hey, let's go out and hire other creators who are awesome at their craft to help on our products. And that's kind of what you see in Elminster's Guide to Candle Keep is beautiful art, beautiful layout from true professionals that we rely on when we make our products. Hmm. And, and I think one thing about being newer to the game is we get to see everything. You know, some people they'll talk about first edition and second edition and how these things felt for the first time and what it's like to play, you know, like exp- Expedition to the Barrier Peaks. They just drop these ray guns on you and that's never happened before. Where every time we look back and we read, it's it's the first time for us and when we learn something it's you know it's so authentic and so we rely on people like ed and mt people who were there at the time and who did play these adventures help us know what was the feeling you got from it um what art stood out to you what would you like to see again because it's a very different experience too if you look at something retroactively from an academic standpoint pure research to, you know, I played this adventure. Here's what really happened. Here's how it seemed to us. And um, it's really cool hearing those uh, stories as we write. Yeah, being able to, to look back and find something new that, that was done years ago. I think that's kind of one of the cool things I've seen about fifth edition is people like looking back to the past to make new content. And, and I love that the community's done it since Wizard hasn't really done it. I think that's just, just stellar. Yeah, I'll, I'll add something there that I think is Justice and I experienced while we made this project come to life. I'm, Justice is a lot more of a lore nerd than I am, okay? Like, he knows all the stuff. 
and uh, I'm kind of like shallow on it. You know, I know some things I, I know Candle Keep because I play Baldur's Gate, but uh, it was cool to see that like Justice was like, oh, yeah, Candle Keep, you know, this, this and that and Elminster, all this jazz. And we started really researching the product because uh, the Sentinel to Avernus just came out and they have a section on Candle Keep, but it wasn't really fleshed out. And we realized that there's so much information on Candle Keep, but it's literally nowhere in terms of like one one stop shop. You know, you, you go to this website, the Candle Keep forum that Justice had to read this little itty bitty scroll. Tiny, the <laughs> tiny scroll. I, and I, re- I refuse to post that anywhere else. He's like, I just posted it into a Google Doc. I'll delete it later. It's yeah. way easier to read this way. I'm like, I refuse. I want this to be authentic. <laughs> it's a method writer. Yeah, it's, it's literally like the scroll the size of a credit card on the monitor. And you have to scroll through it. And it has a, a lot of, you know, Ed Greenwood's words of Candle Keep. But it, Candle Keep information was everywhere. So we're like, you know what? We need to make like the guide to Candle Keep. And then it's kind of what got us started. And then we realized, you know, hey, there's no map to Candle Keep. Like no one's ever done this. And we talked to, you know, we have MT Black on the project who is an author in Descent into Avernus. And he was like, yeah, you know, Candle Keep is too confusing. It, you know, wizards, they don't want to, you know, no one has time to do the map. I mean, they did the art for it and it looked like a bunch of crazy towers intermingled. And so it was very intimidating. And through the process, though, Justice mainly sacrificed many hours of his life on that teeny scroll. And, and uh, I went out and I found Marco, uh, who is our cartographer, to do the Candle Key map. And we kind of brought that to life because you wanted, you wanted people to have a single place for lore and information on Candlekeep. They didn't have to do the pilgrimage uh, Justice did around the internet to find all that stuff. It got to the point where we were, where since the sources were so scattered that I would cite years. You know, I used to think that Anthony was the paladin, that I was the wizard, and I think I multi-class because I took stands on this project and said, no, <laughs> we will not let people go through the Emerald Door unless this happens. It's so explicit. He's like, well, you can't have adventure that way. And I'm like, all right, well, then we'll do this instead. How do you feel about that? And yeah, there, we have that tug of war as as creators because, you know, Anthony is so, he's very much adventure design. And so he wants it for the table and for it to be accessible and for players to be able to find the things. And so it's that inner battle of, you know, how much can I loosen this or of Candlekeep, which is so closed off as it's written. I mean, that's why we're so lucky we had Ed here to be able to give his blessing and to give us, you know, words right in our book that justify some of these workarounds. Um, and I think what we've delivered, especially the chapter four that Anthony wrote, where you have all these adventure hooks that really get to the heart of what's amazing about Candlekeep is just so cool. It's it's really been an honor to to work on something like this. That when I ran it as a DM years ago, I was just really dumbfounded as to you convey the sheer scope of basically the internet in physical form in D and D land. 
you know that's that's pretty cool the the dichotomy you two had where where one's trying to focus on the lore the other's trying to keep it there so that way no not one takes over and i think you kind of make that perfect median where you have way down adventure and lore so that way everyone kind of has something at the table oh and i've definitely been wrong during this project i think when we were when we were having the map made we went back and forth over how to depict uh, the tallest tower in Candlekeep, Exaltation. And it was pretty late in the project, and we're adding... Uh, Anthony added this awesome section that's... It made it into the final product, of course. It's on Exaltation. And I'm, you know, I'm pointing to this teeny tiny scroll on the Candlekeep forum, and I'm like, <laughs> but it says this. And he's like, he's like, no, I promise you this is good. I'm like, okay, we need to pass it to Ed. And Ed, of course, loves it. And it, it was a great addition to the book. Um, so it's it's a challenge sometimes to when digging back with this stuff, especially with Candlekeep, where it's underwent so many changes since it was originally depicted. I mean, if you play the original Baldur's Gate game, you see what the fortress looks like, and it's pretty clear cut. Uh, then you go to Ed's Candlekeep introduction, where it's you know cited as being so many towers that nobody has ever gotten an accurate count. That, that's a challenge to convey mechanically. Yeah, I can't imagine something that's only been described really with words, trying to that that has such a broad scope. How how was the process of bringing all these this disparate information together and trying to consolidate it into something that was coherent that you could really sift through that wasn't a chore? That's all you, Justice. That's all you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it was. It was exciting and, and, and a challenge. Uh, I think that at the heart of it, Anthony's philosophy guided me in a few places. Um, there was some lore that we needed to go to Ed about and reconcile. So, for instance, there, that huge physical change, Candlekeep, in the last time it was depicted in art to the way it's depicted in 5e, where... There are just so many towers. How does anybody explore that? How do, how do 400 monks live in this place and protect it? And basically, I would just use the most recent source. Uh, you know, there's lots of Google searches, lots of digging through these 2013 forums on the Candlekeep forums where Ed chimes in or somebody quotes Ed verbatim. And then me taking that information and asking about, and then uh, listening to the Herald um, on audiobook, because that is the most recent, you know, all the infighting and stuff that happened there. It's, it's the most in-depth look from Ed's words, other than asking him directly. And it was really just making sure I could word vomit it all into a document, and then put all the most important puzzle pieces know to preserve what it stands for while also leaving it open and working with anthony so that he could actually make this a place characters wanted to visit and dms could do things for their players when they visit it and make it a make it a place that they get to explore instead of you know, just kind of know it's this big knowledge warehouse Maybe Anthony has something to add. He saw me fretting some over this. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, I think it, what, what's very interesting into the process, just as I talked a lot about it, wor working with Ed. So Ed's like philosophy for the entire Forgotten Realms, and it manifests in the Forgotten Realms itself. Kind of why I like the, 
timeline so confusing and why the lore kind of contradicts itself is the unreliable narrator. And, you know, you have in other settings in D&D like Eberron, which are black and white. Like, this is this city, and it's like this. And there's a Keith Baker is the, 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 the person who develops the lore, and it, it either is true or it's not. Well, Ed, his philosophy is everything is questionable. Everything is malleable. And at the end of the day, what it is is really determined by the DM at the table. And so, you know, I helped. I think Justice is a little bit more, he was a little bit more rigid and like, well, no, Ed said in the scroll, he said this. And I'm like, look, man, I'm telling you, like with Exaltation, Ed's going to love this. He's going to love it. And, and we're going to add this and it's going to become kind of like the new narrative. It, it was I think cool. That scroll to... messed with me. I think that was a <laughs> scroll. He was, he was like, you know, yeah, you know, justice became like a seeker of Alondo. The prophet says this, it must be true. And I'm words, like, we must respect the words as written. So say <laughs> Greenwood. I'm like, look, they're, they're, they can be interpreted and they can be adjusted. And so when we went to Ed, it was really cool. He's like the final arbiter, but he really embodied that philosophy of, oh, yes, of course exaltation was exactly like this because of blah 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 but i mean it, it was really cool to just kind of see that and i think i saw for the first time why the forgotten realms is the way it is uh in terms of like the contradictory nature of it is because the forgotten realms is ed greenwood's brain if you will and and ed greenwood's core philosophy is this is an unreliable narration uh, anything is what you want it to be, and it's it could be what you don't want it to be. Whereas other settings in Dungeons and Dragons are very black and white. There is there is this, or there isn't that. Um, so that was kind of cool to see in the process. I think that's so interesting that you mentioned that too, because Ed is not Ed's words are like sacred to so many people, but it's not Ed who does that. It's it's, it's DMs and it's people who we bring our philosophies to this lore and we make it rigid when I'm sure I, I know that in 1986, Jeff Grubb, when he was because I was looking into how he went about buying realms uh, and, you know, getting the rights to it. Jeff Grubb asked Ed Greenwood whenever he was asking him questions about the lore. And he said to Ed, he said, um, you make this up all on the spot or is it actually somewhere in there? And Ed just replied, yes. I think that is so baller. <laughs> he did that. Uh, but it, it totally embodies how, how Ed is. He, he creates and, and for adventure. And it's people, it's people like me who make it more rigid than it needs to be. And I even learned um, one of our writers, Jeremy, he, he, he knows the lore even better than I do. He would, he would be able to bring things into it like the way he pointed out the way Elminster speaks right before we ended up going live because I wrote this quote for Elminster in there. And it's, it says, it's, I said you like three times. He's like, well, Elminster always says ye. I was like, that is totally true. He, he does say ye. We need to fix this. <laughs> but yeah, there, there's just so much and it's so, so wide that sometimes it's, it's challenging to work it all in um, and update it. It definitely seems like it would be kind of this monolithic task to try to work into that. His he, When I had gotten the chance to speak with him, Ed had kind of mentioned a lot about how he had kind of works. And he mentioned a couple stories about Jeff Grubb, who I just feel sorry for that man after what Ed probably put him through. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it's it's kind of cool to see like you what you had said because I, I totally agree. I think it's us who makes settings rigid. You know, I don't, and I think this kind of is true not just for uh, Forgotten Realms, but a lot of settings that that people love, except for Eberron because you know Monty Cook is Monty Cook. Word of God is <laughs> true there. <laughs> but it, it definitely, I think he has such a interesting view on it. And having gotten to work with him, do you think that in the future you'll have a different outlook on how you produce lore for your works? Good question. You know, we, we've added lore in some places. I think, honestly think that Anthony has, has flourished more new lore into things than I have. And I have wanted to create lore at times, but we've wondered, you know, is that is the DM's guild the right place? There's there's this there's always this kind of eternal struggle for world building on the DM's guild in that you have the IP and you have access to it. You want to you want to include you know, memorable NPCs like Mordenkainen and Elminsters, and you want to you really want to show people that not only are you competent with these places that they find so nostalgic, but that you can present them in a special way. Um, so when you decide to add things, I guess, I guess I'm always worried that someone might be hesitant to it, or maybe I should save that for, you know, a Kickstarter or something else and just build in my own little area. Um, so it's always a challenge. I don't know. What do you think, Anthony? Um, so I approach, you know, lore building, uh, obviously my first project, the heir of Orcus is a, the daughter of the demon Lord Orcus who I created. She didn't exist until I made her. And so I think working with Ed has been really comfortable for me because I think I personally share maybe his viewpoint more so on things like, you know, when we create lore, it's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the Bible, right? It's, it's not like the, the way certain uh, people look at things as this is absolute truth. I think that as creators, we need to leave wiggle room for, for dungeon masters and players around the world because everybody comes at things with their own cultural slant, their religious slant, their um, you know, certain beliefs that they can add to it. And ultimately... We want people to play and enjoy a world that fits their purposes and is enjoyable to them. So you can have a, a general framework like the Sword Coast is a Sword Coast. You know, I'm not going to like change the geography of that. It's not going to be like a mountain range. But what happens there can, can be molded and it can be slightly altered and changed. And it's okay. Because I think at the end of the day, if, if you're providing that to the customer who's a dungeon master... You want them to know, like, look, this is the, the toolkit I'm giving you, but I trust that you're going to take this and make it great for your table, and I want you to do that. And, um, you know, it's great to see ideas flourish from that because you can really get some cool stuff from it. It's super cool. I really like the um, way that 5e is moving towards, you know, all the hooks you see in books like um, Wild Mount or in MT's Kalimshan Guide. It's... It is, like Anthony said, it's more towards here's what you can do with it. Here's the hook. Here's some of the information. What story do you want to tell with it based on what I've given you? And I think that's, that's really cool. 
I, I definitely think that that's a, a really cool way to go about it. Kind of less telling how the story has to go and more so giving ways that the story can go. I know that they had been putting out for a few years now the the Planescape books, not Planescape, the ones for the Magic the Gathering settings. And oh, I yes, always, yeah. Yeah, and I always liked the fact that they kind of were like, oh, this is kind of how the world is, and you, here's some stuff you can do. And I always thought it was a shame that they didn't back it up with information for the hooks, like monsters to use or boss ideas or or something, like just more ideas and less concrete, this is the way it has to be. So kind of your your what you guys were talking about, it, it really does resonate with me that I, I love that that approach to it more, where it's just placing what people can do with it versus what you're telling them they have to. This is actually a funny conversation that Justice and I, I think, had several times when we designed the products that we do. You know, there's been cases where I leave things vague and Justice is like, hey, we need to, we need to specify this here. And, I'll, and it's a tug of war. It's a really good balance. Uh, Justice really does balance me. He brings me over to his side. I bring him over to hey, to mine. Yeah, Anthony's making me a heretic, so. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I've told just I'm like, look, I don't want to bias the, the DM or the, or the reader. Because the moment a designer puts something down on paper, whether intentional or not, it biases the reader. Because it, it makes the reader slant to what they saw and read. So I'm always very cautious about that as a designer. That I know that when I put something on paper, everybody, the majority of people who read it are going to be biased to believe that as like truth. So it's, it's hard. You, you have to be careful to even suggest things because in suggesting things, you're, you're preventing them from maybe doing other stuff that might be more beneficial to their experience. So that's something I always think about. Reminds me when people say like the second that you draw the map or you set out the map, the, the players think you think they're going to roll initiative they're only thinking of combat like that when you put something in your product steers them that way like you're saying they're going to get their mind fixated around that thing as if it's the only option when it's not yeah absolutely i definitely can agree so i guess kind of uh changing tides a little bit towards uh products what's next on the docket for you guys now that you've finished up candle keep Ooh, this is good Justice, you want to you want to talk about it or what, I mean, not spill any beans, but you know what I mean. Just say there's things in the works, maybe you know. You go. You're better. You're better at this stuff than I am. So so, uh, Justice, the and hype I, man. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're, we, <laughs> I'll say this for everybody who's listening. Coming from a military background, I realize, and I know, uh, like proven fact, the effectiveness of teamwork. Everything I do in life in the military is is built around teams, individuals uh, that does not succeed in my business. So in uh, that being said, find yourself a partner who you synergize with and, and execute things with them. And so Justice and I will continue to collaborate as long as we can before one of us kills the other for like throne of the gods or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, there, there are things in the work. We had a very positive experience with Ed Greenwood and he is decided to work with us again on, on some projects. So we will continue that. And uh, MT Black, who, again, is a well-known author. He's a guild adept. Uh, we'll be working with him on some things. And the rest of our teammates. Look, everything happens with the team. We have great editors. Laura, she's awesome. Our, our cartographer, Marco. Jeremy Forbing, Gordon McAlpin. Trevor, 
and Bob from Grim Press. So these, these people are very vital to the success of any product. And I don't want to diminish. Justice and I have the ability to help fund projects and hire people and pay them fair wages. And I think that's what we work so well as. Is we, we both appreciate and value paying people fairly for their worth and, and then raising them up as creators, that, you know, making them a part of something that's successful and big and, and promoting them to the world. And so we will continue to do that as long as we can. I yeah. When I started, my first big product was um, Devil's Advocate. And I, I remember asking my wife, Sam, I said, hey, this is how much I'm thinking it's going to cost. Is that okay with you? We might never see a dime of this money back. Um, but it was so important to me to, you know, I at this point on Twitter, you know, if you know the the TTRPG Twitter, you know, very aggressive and uh, a lot of talk about fair wages or or even people talking about subpar wages. So when I started, that was first and foremost, one of my priorities was to have teams who are diverse, who are paid fairly, who I communicate well with. And I think that's a big reason why it's so easy to work with Anthony is <clears throat> because he has those same priorities. Um, there's never any back and forth. There's never any hesitation about, you know, when we when we decide, hey, you know, this person's hit by COVID, should we try to give them, like, can we give them their payment sooner instead of upon completion, as they said before? It's a no-brainer. It's like, yes, absolutely we can, because we we both have full-time jobs. And this is, while it is something that we're very passionate about and, and that I know both of us would love to eventually, you know, write for Wizards of the Coast that... You know, it's something that, that we're doing on the side and we are blessed with you know, a full-time paycheck that we can use to hire other people who you know, aren't as fortunate. That is a really impressive outlook to have, like even kind of when you said that you, you went into it with that mindset and living up to that is, it's admirable. And I think a lot of places and a lot of people could do well to share that, that worldview that you have. Yeah, and, and, and it's not without... It's not without its its pains. It's that it's it's the right thing to do. And I, I'm open about this, but my my second or third released, you know, I I put a, a you know lots of art and things in it, and I paid those wages fairly. And to date, I you know I still haven't reaped those costs back. But in the end, I did something that it's a project I'm proud of, and I people fair wages and that's food that was on their table for that week that's rent money and there's nothing you're gonna feel bad about that you know so i i suppose speaking of um kind of what you said like with getting into it and and not kind of seeing that money back what kind of can you expect when you start to create content for the dms guild now it is this kind of um something that you think is more focused towards people like yourselves who do this on the side? Or do you think there is a real chance to make a business out of it, like some of the big-name third-party people like Frog God and uh, Necron um, Necromancer Press? Yeah, I, this is interesting. This has been a conversation that's actually happening on, happening on Twitter and on the Guild right now because of things like you know production values are going up so high. Uh, some people have talked about, what does that mean for the new creator? And I, I want to I want to preface this. When we talk about creators, to me in my mind, a creator is someone who creates something. And there's many different facets 
of creation. There's writing, there's editing, there's graphic design, there's layout, there's art. So there's many different categories of people who I would identify as a quote-unquote creator. I think traditionally, most people, when they hear that tabletop RPG design creator, they assume a writer. The, there is no time that's better than today to get involved in RPG design. Whether you're a writer, whether you're an artist, whether you're a graphic designer or an editor. Because the work is there. A couple of years ago, 2016, 2017, the writer was the only creator that was really active on the guild. The, the only class of creator. They would edit their own product, they would write their own product, and they would lay it out, and they would get free stock art, and they would put it on the guild. And that would make them some money. But today, what you're seeing is, on a project like ours, we're hiring artists, we're hiring editors, we're hiring graphic designers, and we're hiring other writers. And we're paying them very fair wages, more, more so than they would have gotten paid in the years past. And we're bringing them on board and, and we're making stuff together. So if you're a new writer, there is the RPG design uh, workshop out there that offers classes on how to learn to get involved in the RPG business. If you're an artist, there's like a ton of people who want your art to commercially license it and, and you can sell it on the guild. If you're an editor, there's a lot of people who will either pay you a per word rate or a share of royalties. And the same with graphic design. There's a growing need. I'll put it this way. The need for all those other types of creators out there, artists, graphic designers, and editors, this, the supply is not there. There's a shortage. So you need to get involved and go over to the guild and get active. And for writers, there's a bunch of collaborative projects that are happening all the time for you to get on. And I'll be honest, the risk is a lot lower today than it ever was because you don't have to put any money up front to edit your product, to lay it out, to design it, and to put art. You simply get on a project as a writer and you submit your words to them and they take care of the rest. And then you get a, a royalty pay uh, usually from, from that collaborative project. So the risk is, is getting actually a lot smaller than it ever was if you're willing to work as a team with other people, which I highly recommend you do. Yeah, and I think, I think even going in that, I don't, I don't know if anybody would think of the, the DMs Guild as a place where you will start make a full-time, you know, comfortable living salary consistently because even even established creators there there's so much work that will get overlooked on the guild is totally valid but like anthony says you know the more that you go onto these teams the more that you you know you can really minimize that risk if you're making a five percent royalty payment on an adventure that you know hits the top 10 and noticed and you didn't put any money towards it and you love writing and you contributed to it and you're just happy to be a part of that then at that point any of the money that you make on top of that without having invested anything is it's just a, a bonus in my opinion i have seen people on the guild and, and on the guild discord who write so prolifically and so consistently that they will turn around and they'll they'll rise up in month or two months and they will turn around and they will make more than they ever expected to. Ann Gregerson has been 
know, she started the her monsters loot monster loot series. She'll she'll talk on Twitter about how she never expected that she was going to pay her rent with the DMs Guild, and she did that while she's in school, um, and she's you know become such a big part of the DMs Guild in such a short time. Honestly, so it it really is a place where you can find opportunities to collaborate and be super rewarding. It is definitely an interesting time. Uh, I don't I don't think even back in the height of three point five third edition. When you know there's tons of third party content from even like small teams or single people kind of being put out, I I don't think it was this prolific and this many people doing it. It's it's so interesting and and it's nice to hear that even with this many people in it, it's still possible to kind of get into the industry for it, to get into the guild and and try to work and get a part of a team and make a name for yourself. Yeah, there there has been no greater feeling. In the past year, and when I logged into the DMs Guild and noticed that somebody paid me for my writing, which had never happened before in my life, that somebody thought what I had written was worth buying, especially when it was a pay-what-you-want title, and they didn't have to do that to see it. It's it's a feeling that if it's if you've never experienced that, it's it's very. I mean, it's, it was just pure joy. I tell, uh, I tell Justice this story a lot where I started to write partly uh, because I, I wanted to enjoy the, the cathartic nature of writing creative stuff. But I thought, hey, you know, this Dwarven Forge stuff for my D&D games would be really cool. And I told my wife, look, I got a plan. I'm going to take some money and invest it. I'm going to start writing and I'm going to make mo- more money and I'm going to buy this Dwarven Forge and, and it won't have to come out of my pocket. You know, a year and a half later, I haven't bought the Dwarven Forge yet, but I've, I've done a lot more projects. Because I've, I've found that it's been very fun and enjoyable. And it's really a good side hustle. You know, I would say, in, in just being candid, if you're looking to get into it full time, don't quit your day job yet. Because it's not that you're not going to make $30,000 a year off the bat or, or more. But you can get a really sizable, a good side income. And instead of playing video games every night or something, you could write and like generate passive income from that and still have as much fun as you would playing video games. So I used, I'm a big video game junkie, but I kind of gave that up to write. I still have as much fun. It's enjoyable. It's relaxing for me. But now I'm actually like generating side income from it. So it's really cool. And the more you do that, then you start early and, you know, don't set your target high. You'll, you'll make, you know, 50 bucks a month. And then you'll go up to 100 and so on and so forth. It'll start going up. You can start paying for your rent. And you can start enjoying a really nice date night with your wife or spouse and not having to worry about that or, or a little vacation. So you start small and it'll get big and you could manage it. Again, I'm full-time military. I got a full-time job. I got three kids. I got a wife. I'm managing all of those and I'm doing this on the side. And if I can do it, you know, it, I'm, I'm saying anyone else who's able to kind of focus in on that can do it as well. There's no special gift that Justice and I have in accomplishing that. Not know you play video games, and that explains your headset the other night. Now I really want to play video games with you. Um, (laughs) Interesting. I wasn't wasn't even writing um, this time last year. The only writing I had done at that point was personal campaign summaries, basically, to hand to my players, and a 
junior year of undergrad 13 page essay on Batman versus Superman and why Batman would win, which I got a 97 on. I just want you to know that. Not to brag. <laughs> or brag. She got a hundred. Well, the humble brag aside, it is it is impressive to see like it doesn't need to be a full time commitment to to really try to get into it. That's that's really cool. So I guess we'll start to wrap it up with just any last bits of advice for people who are trying to put together adventures and documents and stuff on locations, kind of like you did with. Uh, Candlekeep and some of your other projects. Yes, uh, I'll say here kind of my my two cents on things. Every project since the beginning, for me, has been collaborative. It has never been a single solo project that I've done, and it's that can be difficult for people, introverts, people who are shy, uh, people don't who who don't know how to get their foot in the door. But I will tell you, the community is very inviting. It's very accepting of all people. And all you have to do is just have some faith and like plunge into the water and the water will be warm and nice. Uh, we have a Discord server for the DMs Guild community uh, called the DMs Guild uh, Creative Lounge, which is you can find uh, if you ask on Twitter for it, you'll get an invite. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Thrawn589. You could always shoot me a DM. I keep my DMs open and I'll be glad to help you find that place or give you some advice because I believe, and I think our, most of our community believes that if you succeed, we all succeed. And, and that's what we're here for. So don't be afraid to get involved with others and teamwork will make your life so much easier because you can build off the strengths of others. If you're weak in certain areas, like I'm, I'm weak, I'm weak in mechanical design. I suck at it. I, I, do not enjoy making subclasses or magic items. Justice is very gifted. Jeremy Forbin is extremely gifted at that. But I, and I know that. So I write adventures and I stick to that and I, I build a team around me to help fill the gap. And that's what I think leads to success. So I'll share that. Uh, if, you, if you look at these companies that are you know, consistently putting it out, like uh, Wizards, of course, or, or uh, Piazzo, they don't have one person doing all aspects of these projects. I have people in a room talking about it and offering ideas. I'm sure that they have someone who is a mechanical expert and they have somebody who checks the lore and they have somebody who researches. And, and, and yeah, you, you can't do it alone. I guess if I was going to offer advice, it's manage your expectations when you start. Um, keep it small in scope. There are a lot of people who will do sequels. You can always do a sequel if something is a hit. Uh, don't sign yourself up for your first pro project being 100 pages. It's going to be really hard to keep that motivation going uh, as you as you design it and as you're finding team members and uh, especially if you put any sort of resources into it. You just want to keep it focused and um, have a good outline. Just write about what you want to write about. If you feel like you finished it, a bow on it and put it out in the world or if you have something that's that is waiting now because i feel like so many dungeon masters have homebrew rules or some npc or some story that they dm'd um on you know one shot night pick it up stick it out there it doesn't have to be perfect i definitely have put out products that aren't perfect you know 
I mean, none of our products are perfect. Don't, don't try to keep finding it, um, show people. And once you give it out to the world, you, you have an example to show a team that I made this I can be a part of your team. I'd like to design something else. It's just, you know, get started. And it's scary. It's, it's always scary to make that plunge. People, sometimes people will invite you and they'll put out an open call and there's usually a lot of response to those. So the best thing that you can do is is write something and have fun with it. Keep it small and, and put it out there, I think. That's some great advice, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for talking to us about Candlekeep and your process and what it's like to be on the DMs Guild. It's all been uh, an interesting look into a world we normally don't get to see. Well, yeah, yeah. Hey, we, we really appreciate you guys having us on. So thank you uh, for taking the time to do that. Yeah, it was really nice. Couldn't have done it without Ed and the team, you know? They're all, this is teamwork effort. Yeah. I think if any, any one person missing from our team, this product would have been so different. Would not have been as awesome as it is now. I mean, I have it up right here in front of me as we're talking, and it's, it's just so cool rolling through it and seeing what we've gotten to put together. I always love talking to people, especially people who work on stuff for D&D, where you actually have real applied world building on, sh- on sale and on show. And especially in something like uh, Elminster's Companion, uh, Candlekeep Companion, which is just a, it's essentially a world building document. And it's so cool to see someone proactively create that. Seeing all the different people's work kind of come together to create a product that you yourself alone couldn't make. I, I think that's that's that is so special and so awesome to really see that come to life. And uh, that'll be all the time that we have for tonight. Thanks for coming on. You've been tuned into Worldcasting, an affiliate production of Worldbuilding Magazine. Have any feedback, comments, questions, or concerns? You can get in touch with us on our website, worldbuildingmagazine.com. There you can find links to our social media, or feel free to come chat with us on the Worldbuilding Magazine Discord server. Thanks for listening to Worldcasting, and until next week, keep worldbuilding. Building.